Good morning. It's good to see you all. This is my favorite service of the year, and not just because I preach in sunglasses, which makes me feel like a rock star, um, but because it is such a great reminder of what we are, in fact, the family of God. In the picture of child dedications and baptism and just everyone together and kids on the playground and we're going to have food uh, in just a minute. It, like it is what we are, the family of God gathered together. I wanted to just share two stories while I have you here real quick and then ask you one question and then we will stop and we will play and we will eat and we will do all that stuff. Um, first, first story. Have you heard of the horrible tragedy of Bodie McBoatface. Has anyone heard? Okay, one person? Anyone? A few people? Okay. So Bodie McBoatface is an amazing story. Uh, in the UK, there is a, a agency, a science agency called the National Environment Research Council. And in 2016, they had designed and they were getting ready to launch the most advanced polar research vessel the UK has ever had. It was a $300 million scientific exploration boat. Uh, and they were concerned they're about to do this major feat in the history of the Royal Navy and nobody cared. So they came up with this idea to get the public interested called hashtag name our ship. And they were picturing that the public would vote or suggest names for their boat and it would be stuff like Endeavor or Shackleton or very like respectable British sounding names. But they severely underestimated uh, the sarcastic qualities of the Internet. They got all sorts of silly names, stuff like Bodemus Prime. I like that one. Uh, stuff like I like big boats and I cannot lie. Uh, that was a good one, but it didn't win. What changed the game was a BBC journalist, what is his name, uh, James Hand. He logs onto their website and he makes the suggestion for the name of the boat, Bodie McBoatface. And the reason he gives is because it's a, the most brilliant name ever. And the internet agreed. And very quickly, this began to gain some steam, and so many votes were cast for Bodie McBoatface that it crashed the NERC website. Uh, it was picked up by a lot of media, and it, in short order, the hashtag Name Our Ship was shared 23 million times on Twitter. Um, and it, Bodie McBoatface won in a landslide, as you could imagine, because it is the most brilliant name ever. So the NERC now has a problem. They ask the public, what should we name our ship? And the public has spoken, but they don't wanna name the most prestigious and advanced scientific vessel the Royal Navy has ever had, Bodie McBoatface. So what do you do? What would you do? I would name it Bodie McBoatface, but they did not. In a rather weak move of leadership, they decided to call their boat Sir David Attenborough, who, as you may know, is a respected British scientist and national hero, so nobody gets to complain about that name. But they avoided the problem. And what do you think happened to the public interest in their ship? Nothing. Like, nobody cared. Do you know what Sir David Attenborough, the boat, is doing right now? None of us know, and none of us care. And the, the, the ship and the voyages of the ship kind of dropped off uh, the, the public mind for a while. 
But uh, I want you to imagine uh, what would have happened had they gone through with naming it Bodie McBoatface. I don't want to say it's a good name, but it would have been a brilliant PR move, right? Imagine, like, they could have paid for it with just T-shirt sales alone, right? If Like, we're pretty far from the ocean, but if we had a port here, if Bodie McBoatface shows up to the port in Colorado Springs, I'm going to see that ship, aren't you? It is a brilliant name. But instead, they said, listen, we, we're sorry we ask. You people don't know what you're talking about. We're going to do it on our own. We're going to come up with our own thing. And this actually launched an investigation in the House of Commons in Britain, and it was a whole big thing. But anyway, this is the point of the story. It illustrates this natural tension that every social group has. There is like a top-down energy in social groups where there are leaders, there are people in charge, and they have things that they care about, things that they are trying to do. And then there is like this bottom-up energy in every social group that has ever existed where like there's what the people want and there's the things that the people care about. And when those two things come into conflict, so often those in charge uh, choose control. They choose to shut it down and they choose to do what the NERC did, which is to say, we're not going to listen to the people. We're going to do what we wanted to do all along. Have you ever experienced that? Like, I know this is kind of a silly example, but I, I bet you have experienced the moment where you felt like, hey, those people who are in charge of whatever that thing is, they don't really care what I think. I bet if you've ever been in charge of something, you might have experienced the, what the NERC experienced, where you're trying to do something great, and you're like, nobody will listen, and they want to do their own thing, and they all have their suggestions that they think are really funny, but what about the thing that we were trying to do here? Like, if you've ever, if you've ever tried to pick a restaurant with five people, you might have felt like the, what the NERC felt. I'm sorry I ask, I'm just going to choose, right? This is a tension in every social group, and this is super relevant for what we are trying to do here, this thing called church. I believe this with all my heart, that God intends church to be this amazing blend of both the top-down and the bottom-up energy of a social group. Like, like when those moments where those two things come into conflict, those moments are very precious and important to our God. And they have been from the beginning. You see this right away in the Gospels when you see that Jesus is leading a little bit differently than the other religious leaders who had total control, who never listened to the people. And all of a sudden, the people really start to gravitate towards Jesus, and it creates a problem. But then you see this again right away after Jesus dies, and he's risen from the dead, and he ascends into heaven. And he leaves, and he leaves this group of people in charge. Uh, and right away, the, the moment is different because it is this blend of not just top-down leadership but also bottom-up participation. That is what church is intended to be. And that brings us to this other story I wanted to share. This is a story out of Acts 6, right after Jesus left. They had a moment. It's, it's not as shallow as naming a ship, but I think you'll see the parallels to what happened in the UK. Here's Acts 6. Uh, we're just going to look at 1 through 7. The author says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, 
the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So this is the bottom-up energy, right? This is the people of God saying, hey, you leaders, you're missing something really important here. Let's see how the leaders respond. Verse 2, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So you see a little bit of the similarities here. The apostles have this moment where it's not like they were asking. They didn't do a survey. Just some people came to them and said, hey, you're missing something really important. And unlike the NERC, they stopped and they listened. And they said, well, wait a second. You may be right. And they empowered these people to do the thing that they came up with, the idea that God had laid on their hearts. That is the dream of church. It is this blend of leadership and participation. I think there was a couple things that we can observe from this that are true that I just want to point out about what we are doing here. I think these are the lessons that kind of come out of this. One is this. The apostles, the people who kind of were leading, they really believed that God was in the people, right? They really believed that, and they took their complaints as like the voice of God to them. Let me ask you a hypothetical question. Uh, who was it, like the, the leaders or the people, who got the Holy Spirit first? Follow-up question to that. Who was it? the leaders or the people who got the most Holy Spirit? Like the answer to both of those questions is neither or no one or everyone. Like they all received the Holy Spirit at the same time. They all got the Holy Spirit in equal measure. And so when the people spoke to the apostles, the apostles took it as, hey, this could be God speaking through these people who have just as much access to them as we ever have. They didn't treat them like the NERC, the scientist with all the degrees, treated the masses of the internet, right? They treated them as if what they were saying actually mattered. I want you to look around for a second. Look around at someone outside of your family here. Wave to someone. Make some eye contact. I know it's awkward. Make some eye contact. There you go. Okay. Not uncomfortable eye contact. Just a little bit and then look away. Okay. Here's what I want you to know. Everyone that you are looking at has as much of the Holy Spirit, as much access to God as you do. And no one that you're looking at, no one in this entire group, has greater access or greater amounts of the Holy Spirit than you do. Now, that doesn't mean we all listen to God equally, uh, but we all could. I think that is what the apostles believed, and that is why they didn't act like the religious leaders of, the, of their day or the NERC. They actually said, hey, there's something to this that we need to pay attention to. Here's the second thing in this story that I think is notable. The people in this story, 
they seemed to believe that the kingdom of God was not just the responsibility of the leadership, but that it was their responsibility to embody the kingdom too. The passage says that they complained, uh, which is like negative connotation for us. But I want you to notice the nature of their complaint. It's not like they were saying, uh, we don't like the songs you choose for worship. And actually, the complaint wasn't even about them. The complaint was about somebody else, and the complaint was about the values of the kingdom. They were saying, hey, there is this group, not us, but this group that we are observing that is being marginalized and mistreated. They're missing out on the flourishing of God's kingdom of love and mercy. And the apostles said, hey, that actually is something we care about. And so they said, would you do something about it? And the people stepped in. I can't tell you how much this reminds me of what we have going on here at Pulpit Rock. I, I, like as a senior pastor, I feel like virtually no complaints about music. And I hear like, uh, like almost every week the story of somebody in this church stepping in on behalf of someone else to represent God's kingdom of love and mercy in this community. And it is astounding. The, uh, but I will tell you this, the thing that I've missed the most in this last year has been just kind of that dialogue between leadership and between people. That, that like uh, beautiful connection that God wants to create where we're listening to God in one another. What has bothered me about this year hasn't been the online stuff or the masks or any of that stuff. It's just been a little bit harder to talk this year to one another, hasn't it? This is the dream, is that we could recapture a little bit as some things get back to normal, this dream of all of us together listening to God and seeing what he would say to all of us together, to be the family of God as one family. That's what it was always about. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to share a question with you. This is a question that genuinely I think about like every day of my life uh, at this point. This question keeps me up some nights. Uh, here's the question. How do we at Pulpit Rock embody God's kingdom of love and mercy more effectively? How do we as a family of God represented here in the middle of our town Greater, in greater ways embody this kingdom of love and mercy where people don't get what they deserve and they get things they don't deserve? How do we become more secure in our relationship with God so that we can love others better? How do we take the next step in embodying God's loving and merciful kingdom? And would you believe me when I say this? I do not expect God to just give that answer to me or to the elders or to the pastors. I expect that that answer is going to be hidden within all of us because we all have equal access to this God that we love and we worship. And so I don't expect you to stay up late at night thinking about this question, but I do want to invite you into this question this year in greater ways. How do we, as the people of God at Pulpit Rock, embody God's kingdom of love and mercy in greater ways in our city? Would you tackle that question with me this year? I know so many of you already are. I want to challenge all of us to. And for those of you who are already engaged, I want to challenge, challenge us to listen better to one another. And as God lays something on your heart, I hope you're ready to share it with us uh, because we are ready to listen. And I hope you're ready to listen to the people around you who have just as much access to God as you have. Can we tackle that together? Would you stand with me?
want to pray over us, then I'll give us some instructions and that sort of stuff. But I want to pray uh, this specific prayer. Let's pray. God, we come before you as your people on equal footing. God, we recognize that each one of us can hear from you and that each one of us should hear from you. We expect it, God. We expect you to speak to us and to lead us into this kingdom that you are establishing on earth as it is in heaven. Would you give us the spirit and the mindset to listen to one another? And would you lead us boldly into those places that you are already at work? We love you, Lord, and we receive this calling as a community. Lead us, God. In your name I pray. Amen.